Hello and welcome to How to Save the World. I forgot the name of the podcast for just a second, could you tell? <laughs> My name's Tim Bat. And I'm Waveney. And the point of this podcast is to talk about sustainability in a way that is uplifting and solutions focused. And we want to give you the good information, but also couple that with what you can do to change um, the not so great situation that's happening in a bunch of different areas of our world and environment at the moment. Um, and today we're doing we're doing things slightly differently because normally when we do the deep dives, um, we are utilizing the very knowledgeable and experienced brain of Waveney because she's been in the sustainability space for a long time. But today... Today we're not. Today we're utilizing the... It's my job. <laughs> it instills a lot of faith. No, I'm really looking forward to today because... Um, Oh, it's really nice. I just feel like I'm on <laughs> holiday or something. <laughs> just get to ask some um, probably quite basic questions because, yeah, because what are we doing today, Tim? Hopefully I can answer them because I do have a new appreciation for all of the work you do on these deep dive episodes. So today we are talking about mobile phones specifically. And a lot of the things about mobile phones, you can extrapolate a little bit into things like laptops and, you know, tablets mm, yeah, and, and consumer electronics yeah. and technology at large. Um, but I wanted to hone in on mobiles and smartphones because they're so ubiquitous and uh, I am a big tech guy. I'm a big geek. I love technology. Love it. And so I wanted to sort of use this lens of sustainability to look at this thing that I like and go. Mm. It's really important, got- actually, because it's like yeah. um, mostly so far we've been doing particular issues around sustainability but the other way of looking at this is to get a a topic like this and it could be anything it could be ballpoint pens or mm. balls that you bounce when you play basketball or whatever it just doesn't matter what it is that's uh, a basketball to- for you non-sports <laughs> fans at home <laughs> yeah it's so sporty waving it crikey <laughs> um and just to apply that thinking and join it all up yeah um now, the first thing that I want to open with regarding mobile phones is because I think there's a temptation, and this was in all of the, the videos and the reports and the articles that I was reading. It's just like, oh, this is so terrible. Like, phones are so bad for the environment, da 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 And they are, and we'll get into all of that. But I first, because it's important to highlight with these things, there's a reason why mobile phones are so popular and smartphones are so ubiquitous all over the world. They're really amazing. Mm. They're super amazing. This is a device which literally did not exist 15 years ago. And now slightly more of the world's population has a mobile phone than has access to clean drinking water. Really? I'll say that again. Wow. Slightly more people have a smartphone than have have access to clean drinking water readily. Man. How crazy is that? It is crazy. And I remember being, what was it, in the late 90s, Going to myself, wouldn't it be cool if? Because we're all, we're just getting into digital cameras, so quite a few people carrying around digital cameras, and then, then I guess it was I don't know when it was early two thousands, and people carrying around phones and before smartphones, and I just remember thinking, wouldn't it be cool if you could have the camera and the phone together? That it would happens. be just awesome. What an amazing! Then people were like, yeah, that's what's going to happen. That's, yeah. and I was like, wow, what a cool reality! Bring that on! And now we're living in it. And seven billion smartphones have been created since then in the decade and a half that we've had them. They reckon, according to reporters reading, there's three billion connected smartphones in the world right now, um, connected to a mobile network, so that are actively being used. And if you think about what they've enabled us to do, we can communicate with people by video instantaneously on the other side of the world relatively cheaply or kind of for free if you're on skype using wi-fi um they are our mapping system now we've got an integrated gps system on our phones which help us navigate anywhere we're going if we're like walking around on holiday in some foreign country or we're driving at home and trying to get somewhere it tells us what the traffic's doing our cameras have been replaced by putting these incredible sensors in the phones. Like they've just done so many things. They've kind of replaced TVs for a lot of people. I haven't had a TV in my flat for like seven years or something. Everyone's just got tablets and um and, and their phones. Uh, we email on them, so it's kind of our work machine as well. 
And they've assisted the democratization of a lot of people as well, most famously with the Arab Spring. That mm. A lot of, the, like certainly not all of it, but a lot of it was aided by technology and smartphones, being able to share videos of what was happening and Twitter was able to um, organize protests and people uh, coming together to overthrow dictators. Um, at the moment, that sort of video footage approach Citizen journalism is um, holding, in particular, police officers in America to account a lot at the moment. Yeah, they, it, it is actually, isn't it? It's yeah. phenomenal what's being caught. You Who, think, why are they still doing it? Yeah. When, when there's so many phones around. Exactly. And and it's I think that whole, um, the ubiquity of everyone having a smartphone with video capabilities is brought in like body cams and stuff in the police. And so there's all of these different areas where it's it really has had a cool impact. Not to mention podcasts. Not to mention Probably wouldn't podcasts. Exactly. (laughs) So true. So the question then becomes, how do you make a smartphone? That's what we want to talk about first. There's basically three stages to it, to cell phones, if you look at their impact on the environment. There's how do you make one? um, What's it like while you use it? And then the chucking it it out, waste part of it. So how do you make a smartphone? How well, do you make a smartphone? <laughs> uh, well, to build the universe, what is it? What's that saying? By I think it's Stephen Hawking. If if you want to make an apple pie from scratch, first you must create the universe. Oh, sort of like that. First, we got to get the elements. So in um, smartphones, there are these elements called rare earth minerals or rare earth elements. There's 17 rare earth elements. These rare earth elements have really distinct characteristics related to their ability to conduct heat and uh, electricity. Um, They've got certain properties around magnetism, around vibration. So there's specific elements that are needed to do the cool and wonderful things that mobile phones can do. Um, and phosphorescence is another quality which is inherent in these elements that we need to put into the phones to make them do what they do. And getting them is very, very difficult. The rare bit doesn't always refer to the fact that there's not a lot of them in the Earth's crust, but it refers to the fact that they're not concentrated. So you get these tiny little specks dispersed oh. over a wide area. Yeah. Um, so if you think about gold, for example, gold is um, one of the elements which is um, critical for all circuitry and we use uh, comparatively quite a lot of it in smartphones um, because it has an incredibly high conductivity. Um, That's why it's used for wiring and um, microprocessors. So uh, if you think about gold, often, you know, when you're panning for gold, like in a river or something? Yeah, I know, when I'm panning for gold. And you get get a little fleck in your pan. Yeah. And so you've got to, like, go through so much water to accumulate enough. Um, Gold's not the best example because you can hit like a gold vein mm, yeah. where there's a whole mass of it. But with a lot of these rare, rare earth elements, they're very dispersed. So you've got to um, figure out a way to kind of capture a massive amount of rock and process it to get these things like uh, tungsten and um, the other elements out of there. So the way that they do that um, often is open pit mining, which is terrible. Wow, we. What struck me about open pit mining when I started looking into this, which is how we harvest a lot of the rare earth elements, is that I was looking around at these videos on YouTube and they did not have a lot of hits. So it really struck me that everyone is using the product of this process and I suspect very few people ever think about it. Yeah. And it is insane. So you've got to take this enormous swath of land, and I didn't write down the numbers because I thought it would be one of those, like I couldn't think of the numbers, and and the numbers are right in front of me, but it's like kilometers and kilometers, hectares and hectares, these huge, enormous land masses. Like all added up, or just one would be? One pit. No way. It's just these huge swaths of land. Gosh, a hectare is massive. That's like kind of like a football field, isn't it? Oh, these these open pits that we're looking at are like multiple football fields because they've got these huge diggers and bits of equipment that are sitting on them and they just, they, yeah, it's unbelievably massive. So they're usually in developing countries um, because that's just always the Mm. case. Although I'll kind of get to that later because there was a... There was some mining in America, but then China kind of got involved and did it cheaper and drove down the price of all the elements. So um, all the places in America had to close up shop. So they move into an area where they can find some of these elements. And first of all, they have to clear all the land. So if if it's not just rock, 
if there's anything yeah. on top of it, um, trees, uh, some sort of habitat, some wildlife, anything, they just have to clear all of that away completely. And then they just start digging through the rock. They have these massive explosives that they put in to blow everything up. Yeah. And then if you've ever seen um, a big quarry, it looks like that. Just this huge quarry with trucks going in and out and diggers. And it destroys everything. Mm. Um, really caustic materials that they have to use to process the rock to extract these minerals uh, out. That's interesting. It's kind of like point. A is destroying habitats on a yes. huge scale. Point yeah. B is your these these toxins that are now Absolutely. what do you do with them? Yes. I think it's partly that scale thing that gets me because without scale, you can say, well, you know, these phones are very useful and we've got to live, you know, yeah. we'll have to have an impact of some sort. Um, yeah, sure, it's hole in the ground, it's not ideal, but I think it's for people to understand the scale of how we are affecting on as a whole of the whole of the planet mm. some enormous percentage of the planet is affected by our our industry yeah and it's like we are really squeezing the habitats and it's that whole um economic concept of an externality which yeah, is it's been it doesn't hidden, even count it's been hidden yeah. away from us and hidden away from the sort of accounting of it and yet there's th these people who are being incredibly negatively affected or killed um, as a result of these processes. So they have to use things like acid baths to um, do the initial processing of some of these rocks. And there's various stages and the different elements have different um, processes to extract as well. So the open pit mining is not for all of these elements that they grab. I think the elements that are commonly gathered with that style of extraction is copper, silver, palladium, aluminium, uh, platinum, tungsten, lead, tin, and gold, mm. um, which I think all of those are in mobile phones in some way, shape, or form. Then there's cobalt, and cobalt is an element essential to lithium-ion batteries, which are used in anything that holds a charge these days, really. Um, the alternative is alkaline batteries, which aren't really in vogue anymore because you can't recharge them. Okay. So lithium-ion batteries are in uh, rechargeable double A's. They're lithium-ion. Um, your mobile phone that you've got, that's lithium-ion. Uh, if you look at high-capacity batteries in a car, like a Tesla, um, or Tesla actually have developed these, you might have seen the, uh, I think they're called power walls or something, big, huge power bank you use in your house in conjunction with the solar panel. Yep. So you can store that power somewhere to use it through the day and night. Um, that's all lithium ion. And an essential ingredient of lithium ion batteries is cobalt. And cobalt um, is an element, the majority of which is mined from the copper belt region of the Democratic Republic of Congo, which is not a place famous for its human rights <laughs> championing and good working conditions. So according to um, The Guardian, and I'll have a link to this in the show notes if you <laughs> want to get quietly depressed for a bit, but educate yourself a bit more, there are child laborers as young as six years old in these mines that are earning um, 65 US cents a day and like back-breaking conditions, um, extracting cobalt out of these mines. Uh, it's really, really dangerous. If they find a place where there's a lot of cobalt, they'll just start digging in these mines and they're going completely underground um, in these very tight conditions. The mines do often collapse. It's just out of sight, out of mind, isn't it? It, it completely is. You've got yeah. your phones all lined up in the shop. You're picking it out and you're looking at the features and totally. and that's the backstory. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it does bear thinking about just for a couple of seconds, like how we're getting all of these, all these bits and pieces to put together. Yes. Can I ask, is this episode going to have uh, any sort of a solution or is it more that it's just... There's all, a few. There's a few? Solutions, yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> but I was just wondering, you know, if it's if the message is kind of like, this is pretty bad stuff, so therefore just try and use it less, try not to, you know, buy so much There's of a bit it. of that, or, but there's some other stuff as well. Ah, cool. But, um, yeah, I probably should have prefaced the episode with this because there is some really, there's some super dark stuff. But if you look into anything, there's a lot of super dark stuff. But I think that it's important to not shy away from the truth of these things. Well, I like... It's for me. It's that journey of and if you're going to make an effort to try and do something differently, then it's you've got to hold on to why. That's right. That's right. And I did have a bit of a sort of conversation with myself as I was going through all of this stuff. Going, man, how much of this should go in the episode? Because this is pretty grim and depressing. 
But the thing is, there's got to be some counter to all of the marketing that these huge companies do because they're yeah. investing literally billions and billions of dollars every year to hide all of the stuff yeah so the fact that it is ugly and gross and we don't want to talk about it is true but there's got to be some countenance to the to the sort of marketing and advertising efforts of these huge companies that are making insane amounts mm. of money off the back of these these processes so that's my justification so this episode some of it will be a bummer <laughs> we're yeah. already quarter of an hour in it's already a bummer um but it's it's important and it's the truth. So uh, according to Reset.org, 50% of these mines in the Democratic Republic of Congo, which most commonly um, produce the cobalt that goes into the batteries, half of half of the mines are controlled by armed uh, groups or militias. Um, and that is where we get uh, tin, uh, tantalum, which I'm not sure what that is, I have to confess, and tungsten. Um, and yeah, re- there's a lot of really young workers mm. working in there, terrible conditions, terrible pay to extract the stuff out. Then we get to the manufacturing stage. Um, the manufacturing stage is predominantly happening in China and I'm going to use iPhones as an example purely because they're so ubiquitous and everyone kind of knows what an iPhone is, but what, the process I'm about to explain, you can extend to almost any self. So like Samsung have a very similar system, okay. but I just kind of went through um, the iPhone. So iPhones are produced uh, in large part by a company called Foxconn. It's a Taiwanese company. If you look at the label, you'll see, um, and this is on pretty much all Apple products, it says designed in California, uh, made or assembled in China. So that's the whole thing of like, you know, it's an American company, but all the manufacturing happens overseas for obvious cost reasons. Yeah. Um, so Foxconn employs over a million people, just that one company, and they make PlayStations, Kindles, Nokias, iPads, iPhones, Nintendo consoles. They make consumer electronics, and they've gotten very, very rich doing it. And they've got um, a history of really low wages and terrible working conditions, and they've been in the news a few times. And this is kind of like, I'm not a big Apple dude myself. Um, I've, I'm, I don't like have Apple products. But the good thing about Apple being so brand heavy and rating themselves so much and like having these huge marketing campaigns where they sort of elevate themselves to such high esteem and a high level mm. is that when bad things happen associated with Apple-related suppliers – People really give them shit about it, <laughs> which is a good thing. It's true. I've noticed that too. Yeah. Well, I think because you're right, they're exactly that. They're, in terms of their brain story, yes. they've put themselves out there they as have. being a bit better, a bit cleaner. A bit they, they have put themselves smarter. on such a pedestal yeah. that it's like we are this innovative, world-changing, world-improving company that makes products, that makes everyone's lives better. Um, and that's why they're so expensive. So then when they do get caught out, people do take notice and a lot of articles get written and they yeah. get a lot of media pressure. And Apple, um, I have to confess, do respond to this and um, they have improved stuff. So Yeah, <laughs> it's interesting. I have to admit as well that while we're admitting things that I've totally been caught out, I think, by that, personally, by that Apple story. Like we were early uptakers back in the, whatever it was. Yeah. Late 90s and... Apple all the way through. It's and not thinking, all thinking this is this is cool. They're cool an, brand. You they're know? an incredible company. Yeah, and they've got incredible ambitions. But like but yeah, anything they, that I, big, it's complicated. Oh, I, I do remember hearing those first negative stories. Mm. Would it have been about ten years ago or whatever? Maybe more. It, you're absolutely and right. Just it going, was ten years ago. Oh, is that right? Does that fit? Was that a thing? It's not very yeah. Apple news. No, exactly. So it's not prob- very Apple. Probably what you're talking about is in 2010, um, there was these reports came out that a whole lot of Foxconn employees were attempting suicide at the factories. And um, one of the things that got a lot of media attention is the initial response to this is Foxconn started putting nets outside the windows in their factories. Like that was their oh, reply to it. Yeah. It, was, it just absolutely nuts. Um, and this prompted a lot of reporting into their labor practices because they're the main supplier for Apple for their manufacturing. And uh, there was like, it was reported that there was a 28 year old guy who died after working 34 hours in a row and people working 70 hours a week. And they were like, Foxconn was falling afoul of Chinese labor laws, which are 
not the most stringent <laughs> in the world, as you can no. imagine. Yeah. And they've made a, a, a whole lot of improvements because of all of this media attention. And Apple has demanded a lot of things of Foxconn to ensure that those working conditions improve. The problem is not completely fixed. Um, and I hope that there is just continued public and media pressure and not just on Apple. I'm just picking Apple because they're a big obvious example. This is the case, I would say, with almost all uh, mobile companies, mobile manufacturers. But is it kind of similar to when we did the clothing episode and we we're talking about the factory conditions, just like really low wages, very competitive because of the essentially because of the price points and the profit that yeah. people are wanting to yeah, suck out. Absolutely. And just, you push and you push and that's, that's the part of it that will give. Yeah. Because if they don't do it that cheaply, then you, they, you find someone else that will. And similar to textiles as well, there is some... Um, this is more to do with the extraction process. I don't think this is as big a problem in the factories, but there's a lot of harmful chemicals mm. that they're dealing with as well, okay. um, which uh, carcinogenic cause, cause cancer and um, awful stuff like that. So um, all these people doing things for us. I know. It's happening to bring the things to us, but we don't know mm. about it. So that, as I said, this problem isn't completely fixed um, by, by any stretch. Just a few months ago before the launch of the iPhone 11, it was revealed that Foxconn broke Chinese labor laws. Um, by having a huge amount of, um, what are they? They had a special word for it, but temporary workers who don't have the same rights. So 50% of their factory were these temporary workers, and Chinese labor laws only allow for 10%. Um, so the good thing is, is that these things are coming out a little bit, and who knows the stuff that's not being reported, right? But this um, Chinese labor watchdog also found that workers were putting in um, 100 hours of overtime per month which is well in excess of China's legal wow. limit of 36. Um, the factory didn't provide workers with adequate protective equipment. Um, student workers were being forced to work overtime during peak season. And the factory wasn't uh, reporting work injuries. And this is stuff that's sort of like part and parcel of setting all of these Chinese factories up to be this low-cost labor force. Um, to engineer all of the world's electronics at the cheapest possible price, like there is a price to be paid for mm -hmm. that, and this sort of stuff is it. This is the human cost of it. So worker conditions for these big suppliers like Foxconn have improved a little bit, and Apple were making strides in some other areas as well to put a huge amount of pressure on their suppliers. A big one is on their energy. Um, so Apple made the decision... I think it was two years ago that they were going to go 100% renewable energy and they managed to do it. Um, but the thing is with Apple is that only one quarter of their whole like energy footprint or carbon footprint is by their own offices. Three quarters of it, their devices, it's represented by their suppliers who put the stuff together. So they have um, made Foxconn and their other manufacturer called TSMC uh, commit to using 100% renewable power, and they're not they're not doing it yet, but they have committed to doing it. And Apple have said that if these suppliers don't um, reach the 100% renewable levels, that they'll drop them as suppliers. So there is um, some positive ways that these companies are putting pressure down on improving conditions for these people, and it's like it's only because of public and media attention. They would not ever even think to do this stuff, in my opinion, mm. <laughs> yeah. without without this yeah. kind of attention. Power to the people. And look, here's something that I want to talk about a little bit because Apple and Samsung have put out all of these reports about how they're um, certified in all these different areas and they're making all these strides um, to improve ethical conditions and things like the renewable power commitment from Apple. And that's great and all. But. And and Samsung um, admittedly made uh, strides in changing their packaging quite a lot to, to make it a lot less uh, harmful, which is good. But they keep making these design decisions, which are purely financial and explicitly bad for the environment by doing so. And one of the biggest trends is the, it's called the unibody design, which is something that Apple started and everyone's copied. Unibody is... Um, Basically, that it's all like one piece out of a molded bit of aluminium. And what it means is that the battery is completely encased and it's not removable for the user. So back in the day, you could the thing that craps out in a cell phone is the battery. 
And if you swap out the battery, you've essentially got a new phone. There's two things that are stopping you being able to keep your smartphone for ages at the moment. One is the denigration of the battery over time because you're constantly recharging it. So there's a physical chemical yeah. limitation to how much you can yeah. do that before it breaks down. And the second is the updates that oh, get forced through. I was going to say, it's got to be the updates because that's one updates, of my yeah. old iPhones crapped out because of that. We updated it and there was all just toast after that. And there is a real back and forth argument between Apple slash other mobile companies and the consumer, I would say, about whether or not this is necessary. So there was this big debacle about 18 months ago where Apple got on hot water because people were finding out that um, as soon as they would get an update, like their phone, would it would slow down. Yep. It would slow down it over totally time. totally happened to me. And so I think from memory, first of all, Apple said that's not happening, it's fake, which is what they usually respond to their big scandals if they go, first of all, nah, it's a tie, it might be affecting like 0.1% of our users, but this isn't a widespread issue. And then they get forced to do an investigation and then they come up with a reason as to why things are happening the way they are. And they said the reason why phones were slowing down was to protect the longevity of the battery um, so that it would slow down the processor, the CPU, so that it wouldn't just run through the battery instantly and you'd have a dead phone in three hours. So it would cripple the performance of the phone. And people didn't really buy it, and I don't really buy it either, because what it does is it leads to this incredibly frustrating user experience yeah. where you just go, oh, if I'm going to yeah. just buy a new phone. Yep. And so at the moment, people replace their phones on average every 21 months, which is just way too often for this model. You're of kidding. How we, yeah. Who are those people? I just, this I, is a world do average. Do you do and, that? I don't do that. Uh, I might have you. Well, there's a lot of like systems that are uh, encouraging you to do it. So like the mobile, the telecoms, the telecommunications companies that you've got your contract with, they will give you discounts and interest-free and all that stuff on a rolling 24-month basis. So you, a lot of people will sign up to a contract for two years. They'll get their okay. discount on their yeah. phone, and then it will come up for renewal. They'll be able to get 400 bucks off the new iPhone or whatever. Gosh. So they'll they'll roll yeah. over into another one. I think we are, just take it back and look at that big picture, so used to it. It's like we're the, the frog in the water just slowly getting warmer and we don't realise it's time to jump out because we, we've got well, – obviously we're so clever. We've got amazing technology. Like like you said at the start of the episode, just how incredible these phones are. Like we're so clever. Yeah. It, we could easily create a device that we could have for life. We have, which I will get to. <gasps> <laughs> I'll get to that in a moment. There is an amazing uh, yeah. company in the Netherlands who are doing wow. just this. So, but I want to ream out Apple for one other thing because this is just my like geek um, sword and shield coming out now. <laughs> but the other like really cynical design decision that Apple made, which really pisses me off, is they removed the headphone jack. And because yes. Apple did it and they're so cool, yeah. a lot of the other companies just followed in their wake and they were like, oh yeah, we don't, we don't have headphone jacks either. And the reason, in my opinion... It's true, but I have to say that, in my <laughs> opinion, why they did that is because Apple purchased an audio company called Beats, which make Bluetooth headphones. So Bluetooth headphones have a battery in them, which means they die and you have to replace them every X amount of time and they're more delicate and you can like build newer models. So it's this other product that you have to keep replacing and buying a new version of every whatever, three years. So Apple bought Beats, huge Bluetooth headphone company, and then got rid of the headphone jack so they could sell more Bluetooth headphones. That's the simple truth of why they Gee. did it. Um, and they can say whatever they want about it being a brave design decision and being futuristic, whatever the hell they want to say. It was about selling headphones to you for too much money and creating more products that you don't need in the process. Wired headphones last kind of forever. Mm. If you get one, well, like the wire will crap out, but it, it, there's a lot of headphones you can get where you can just replace the wire with a, a like a $10 cable and they'll last kind of forever. Um, but not Bluetooth ones because they got a battery that breaks down. So Apple can, you know, keep singing the song about how they're making these environmental improvements and stuff, but all their design decisions really do show that they've got yeah. a financial model, yeah. which is completely based on you buying a new version of their products. Designed every, obsolescence. Ex yeah. Exactly. Every 18 to 24 months, you've got to get the new iPhone, the new MacBook, da-da-da. And the other thing is, in the last... I'd say about four years, there haven't been huge improvements in mobile phones. There just haven't been. Just as a little like tech reviewer um, bit of recommendation for you, 
don't there's absolutely no need to buy a high like the highest tier phone anymore the mid-range phones are so good don't spend like a grand to get the top tier one because you can get 95% of the result right. by spending half that money these days because yeah. all those incredible features trickle down and there just hasn't been a lot of advancements in the last four years. Didn't the last time the iPhone get released, uh, that was the first time that they had like slightly less sales or there's kind of like that announcement we've hit peak smartphone? It, it wouldn't surprise me because they, they now are having to come up with essentially gimmicks. Yeah. That parade is it's new like features. We've actually got it now. We've got the ideal. We've got the yeah. phone and the, the camera all the, in the the, one place. The or... cameras are really good. It's yeah. like everything will always improve, but the cameras are pretty good. The one thing that lets them down, which it would be great to see some movement on is batteries, but um, yeah. that's like a, a physical limitation of the kind of chemistry we use to make them. Um, so, so let's talk about the third sort of stage of a of a oh, phone's chucking, life, chucking which is it out. Chucking it out. So e waste is a massive problem everywhere in the world, but particularly in New Zealand. Every Kiwi creates an average of nineteen kg of e waste a year. Can we define e waste? Is it everything with a plug? That's what uh, I'm used to. Yeah, I think when you're dropping yeah. it off at a recycling centre, that's often the definition. Right. If it's um, got a plug. Yeah. Gotcha. Well, that's but, a good working mm. definition for us then. That's good. Um, now, that's actually going up. Um, it's expected that uh, by the year 2030, which is only 10 years away, that will go up um, by 7 kg. So It's going so in the wrong direction. From 19 to 26 kg per person. And that's according to the Ministry for the Environment. Um, it's like a freight train, isn't it? Just Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of it. And I mean... <laughs> a lot of momentum. It, it does sort of make sense because it's some other products are getting replaced by electronics in our life. So, for example, we don't have as many books, so maybe there's less books going to landfill, um, but now we have Kindles, which we're throwing away. Mm. Um, and as much as... Now, I have to preface this fact by saying this was in a press release and I kept trying to follow where the study was and I couldn't find the ultimate conclusion of it, but it was quoted by the, um, I think, the Whanganui Council. So I'm going to say it, but with an asterisk. Yeah. According to this that I read, this press release, as much as 98% of New Zealand's uh, household electronics and e-waste ends up in landfills, which is bad because they contain things like lead and mercury, which leaches into the soil. It's incredibly poisonous for other animals and in the water, um, for fish and algae and stuff like that. But also uh, lead and mercury is incredibly poisonous for humans and can cause things like death and um, severe uh, mental and developmental disabilities, um, which is what happened in Flint, Michigan, when mm. their water supply yep. got tainted um, with lead. So it's, it's a big, 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 big problem. Um, so some solutions. So um, recycling with e-waste, unfortunately, as we've covered in some previous episodes, some waste is just shipped to poorer countries. And because of things like lead and mercury, um, this can be incredibly harmful for vulnerable people. There's a lot of women and children working in these developing countries that are disassembling parts. And sometimes they just get burned or sort of um, chucked into big... Um, like dumps essentially their own version of a landfill anyway it's just happening somewhere else so there's i, I want to speak briefly about this really interesting wellington based firm um who have reached a stage that they're calling pre-commercial they've gone through all these different tests they're called mint innovation new zealand and what they reckon they've done is cracked this process of getting e-waste breaking it down so they put it in a huge blender and they make this kind of powder out of it all and then they put it into a water solution. And then they use these specific microorganisms, which then collect the individual elements. And through this extraction method... Wow. Yeah, using the special microbes, they can reclaim things like the gold, the tungsten, the silver out of these electronic components. And they're doing it non-toxically. So it's this really like... Wow. ...powerful... If they really... I'm always dubious about yeah, these claims because, yeah. you know, being in the tech world, you constantly um, see these companies that, you know, four years prior came out with this thing going, this is going to revolutionize this industry. And it's like, oh, yeah, they just filed for bankruptcy. But Mint Innovation have gone through a lot of um, the kind of 
implementation cycles already. They've, they've done extensive testing. They've had over $5 million in funding. They've scaled it up to an extent where they're um, seemingly at the moment just on the precipice of rolling this thing out on a commercial basis. And they've got international ambitions as well. So they want to be wherever e-waste is collected in the world. And it's um, such a cleaner way of dealing with these um, e-waste materials and reclaiming the um, finite rare earth minerals that we need to hold on to because we will run out of them at some point. Mm. This is actually, we, you know, we just did the waste energy episode and we talked about are landfills better or not. Um, and one of the bizarre reasons why landfills are better is because we will still have those resources in the future when we need them and we'll be able to mine our landfills for all of the the e-waste that Mm. we've chucked in there and get out these rare resources again. In fact, already there are some rare minerals that there's more of in landfills than any other deposits in the world. That makes sense. And is that like versus incinerating? Well, yeah, because if you incinerate it, then it's gone. Yeah. Yeah. Man, that must get hot to be able to like destroy some of these these elements down. It's nuts. Um, so keep an eye out for mint innovation. Sounds amazing. It sounds and really impressive. And for now, um, did you come across places that people can take their e waste? It's a good question. Oh yeah, I did. Um, yes, I did. And you see, what are they called? Hold on, let me find the the facts on this. I've, I'm surrounded by paper, folks. <laughs> I've got a couple while you're looking. Oh, is it is your one called? Remobile? No. Okay. Awesome. Actually, what about Starship? So this is Remobile. Oh. (laughs) So Remobile, um, now, as far as I can tell, they're actually like the industry answer to the solution, which is often what they do to prevent the government stepping in and having a more stringent um, solution to it. But, you know, this thing exists, so it's good. So they are certified by the Ministry for the Environment, um, this organization called Remobile, and it's a partnership um, with Spark, Vodafone, Two Degrees, and Noel Leeming. And they have, I think they must have to have collection points at all of their stores. There's 465 drop-off points around the country. Oh, it's a good network. To collect your old phones. So you just, you clear all your data off, you take your SIM card out, and you put them in. And depending, oh, they've they've even got free posts. So if you go, um, sorry, I haven't written down their website, but if you Google Remobile New Zealand, you'll find the program. Um, and what sort of places are their drop off points? Like schools shops. or malls? Shop. Oh, well, I, the ones that I like Spark or Vodafone or Two Degree Shop. Oh, the, yeah, but the places that you'd buy your phone in the first place. There's over 400 of them, so I'm sure oh, they've they've got yeah. other. They've probably got school collection spots and that as well. Um, but you can, they've got a map, you type in where you are, it'll give you the closest one. You can even free post your phone, so it doesn't cost you anything. You just buy the envelope and you put free post and the address on there and send it off. Um, oh, I'll put a link in the show notes, actually, so you can see re, uh, Remobile's website. And depending on what condition the phone is in will determine what they do with it. So if it's in pretty good working order, they can resell it either just as it is or refurbish it by sending it back to the manufacturer they fix what needs to be fixed so say for example you've got a cracked screen which seems like end of life for a device that is all screen um, they can send that away get the screen fixed if it's not too much money then resell it as a refurbished unit and i buy a lot of refurbished electronics it's a good way to go they actually some people shy away from it because they're like oh it's second hand but in actual fact refurbished units go through in some ways more extensive testing and stuff coming off the factory floor because they've got to be so highly quality controlled um, to make sure that the the refurbishment happened correctly. So I think it's a, and they all come with at least three month warranties usually as standard refurbished units and you save a lot of money buying stuff that yeah, way. Yeah, I think um, that's the way we've gone as well. And we get like years out of our yeah. stuff. They're just as good as new and in some cases better in a way because they're more stringently um, sort of looked at. Actually, if you've got an X amount of money to spend, like say you've got 500 bucks, yeah. then you will get it better, won't you? Because if you're buying a phone new and you're paying 500 versus something that's refurbished that is still 500, then that's a better product, right? If better you're quality. buying a refurbished one? Yeah, but, yeah, but you're still spe- spending the same amount of money. Yeah, yeah, You're definitely. getting a better product for that yeah. 500 bucks. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And there's some trade, like the warranty is less than a brand new product. So there's some trade-offs to be made, but I do it. I think it's great. And I'm and a big you're, nerd. you're cool. So listen to me. Um, so 
remobile you you basically donate your phone to them and then they will resell it but all of the money goes to sustainable coastlines and they used to have a program with starship that i don't think exists anymore where the money went there but now it goes to sustainable coastlines so not only are you dealing with the phone in a responsible way and if, if the phone isn't in workable order they still take it and they will break it down properly and recycle it to the the best standards that they can at the current moment so um, all the money that they get from that, that goes to sustainable coastlines and that's a, a commitment they have to keep up with as part of their certification. So at least it's kind of helping some other bit of the country. Awesome. But the real um, solution to this is going to come from design changes. And so there's this company called Fairphone, which I absolutely love. And this is like the future right this is this is the future of everything is these innovative companies that go they look at an industry and they go this is cooked there's yeah. so many of these devices rolling around there's so much money being spent and no one's considering these aspects so fairphone are a, a private company they're dutch based and they've been around for um maybe about 10 oh, probably less than 10 years now maybe seven or eight years and they have a commit, like they started as a response to in the smartphone market making an ethical phone um, from a social point of view, from an environmental point of view, and from a consumer point of view. So, what Fairphone have focused on is um, first of all, at the kind of getting the elements to put in the components part, seeking the highest possible certification for ethical extraction and ethical mining that they can, and yep. they're constantly. Um, trying to, with each model of the phone, they're up to the third version, to better their supply chains and get higher certifications to make sure that people are getting um, paid appropriately, that they're working in way more safe working conditions than is usual, um, and just trying to elevate that whole bit of the pipeline. They also have a real commitment to looking at the manufacturing process. So the factory workers who assemble their phones, they've got way higher certifications than is the norm. So that bit's elevated as well. And the whole design of the Fairphone is that it's modular and it's it's just amazing. So they ship this phone to, to you with a screwdriver and you can take it apart and replace each individual module. So you can replace the battery, you can replace the camera, you can replace the screen for yourself. And they don't cost a ton of money. Like the um, the phone itself is for... Now, I have to say, I don't think you can get it in New Zealand. I was desperately... Oh, <laughs> but, I'm, but this is like, this is maybe not the solution for us right now, but this is where everything should be going. Um, they only ship in Europe at the moment, but it will just be a matter of time. Would it work here? Well, that's what I was trying to, to figure one? out. They don't have on their website what radio, what frequencies they use, so I couldn't actually figure out if it would work on our networks. But oh, yeah, which was very frustrating. Um, but just just take this as a cool thing that's happening, okay? okay? In another bit of the world, rather than a thing that you can go out and buy right now. Four hundred and fifty pounds for the latest one. You can replace the. Um, that is really reasonable, isn't it? Yeah, it's for a, a modern smartphone. It's not, but well, considering all these things that does, so that's about seven hundred and sixty New Zealand dollars. Considering all of the things that you're buying in terms of like an ethical and environmentally sound compared to the other devices device. Um, yes, it's a really good price and they ship it without a charger because they figure you've probably already got one. Um, you just get the phone and the screwdriver because like it just uses a standard USB-C, which oh, you've probably got yep. in your house cool. already. Um, you can replace the camera module, for example, for 30 pounds, uh, 30 euro. So if you had an iPhone or a Samsung and you cracked your camera module, like a lot of people would have to replace the whole phone. Yeah. But for 30 euro, you can literally crack the thing open, swap it out yourself. Boom. It's good to go. When the battery starts to go, you can buy another one of those for 30 euro. So this phone is designed to last way longer than other smartphones. Does it last forever in terms of uh you know the update thing and i don't well it can't last forever um and that is just a part of the security updates that because it's it's on android the operating system so it will get a lot more life out of it than your typical phone but there are some security features which need a hardware component so you, you can't download a hardware component it needs to be part of the chip that's in the phone so there will be at, at some point there'll be some security what sort of time frame we're we looking at 
Well, I like off the top of my head, I'm just making this up, but I reckon you could keep a Fairphone for like five years versus the normal 18 months that an iPhone will start to crap out with. Or even longer if you're probably pre- longer. Longer if you're prepared to well, not have because we make our iPhones last for about four years. Yeah, but you might not be getting all the security updates. It's the same thing with Samsung. It's like they will or any phone. I'm just using those two companies because yeah. they're the biggest. You can technically keep them and they'll run for longer, but they might not have access to the latest security patches. Okay. Yeah. So if that's something that you require, you know, it'll take you up to a certain point, but then there'll be a hardware ceiling on that. But if that's not a massive concern for you, then yeah, you could probably keep this phone for way longer because you can just swap out the battery, make it last for like a decade. Um, and that's what I'm after. I want all this stuff to last forever. A module, like the modular phone project has been taken up by lots of different companies. Google tried to make one and couldn't do it. They threw like a lot of time and money at it and they couldn't quite crack it. I think they gave up after a while. But this company, Fairphone, have done like it's it, i was just blown away because i'd heard about Fairphone, but i'd never looked into them properly until now and now i really want one of their phones <laughs> yeah i do too because of all these ethical considerations yeah. but also because i could just have this phone that would last for ages yeah which is cool um so oh that was my other question is what what's the functionality like is it do you could you tell it's the um, same it's the same. Like the, and this is with kind of all phones now. The only thing you can really make a big difference with is the photos that they take. Yeah. It's just a, and even that, the gap is closed a lot between a $400 cell phone and a $1,200 cell phone. It's yeah. not nearly as noticeable as it used to be. And I've been ruin the photos on mine anyway because I can't hold my iPhone for more than a it, yeah. second without dropping it. So I've got a life-proof case <laughs> over the entire thing, which is like a plastic oh, so it puts thing a, over there. Yeah. yeah. So, Well, then you could be getting a way cheaper phone and keeping it for longer or get one of these fair phones. I really hope they work in New Zealand. I'm going to look into that if the radios work um, and see if we can get them. But... That aside, that specific specific part aside, that is the direction that everything needs to be pushed into, and that Fairphone company is getting a lot of attention. And I hope that the other companies kind of go in this direction. So, look, here's the morals, here's the solutions. Because <laughs> I know this has been a pretty heavy episode. Um, you just, like it's the same thing that we tell you with all the other stuff. You just gotta buy less. Mm-hmm. You do not need especially these days you do not need to replace your phone every two years they're not getting that much better i know that apple just put another camera sensor in their flagship phone it doesn't really do anything (laughs) okay (laughs) so phones now last a lot um longer than they did before the battery thing unfortunately is really an issue and that's why there needs to be more companies making um, user-replaceable batteries. When you are finished with your phone, never, ever, please never, ever landfill it because um, there's really dangerous components in there. And apart from anything else, they can start fires as well quite easily if the lithium-ion battery, um, the walls permeate and it creates this chemical reaction. It can create a really hot chemical fire. Um, so don't ever do that. Go to Remobile and donate your phone there. Like, you can hold on to your phone for a lot longer than the telcos want you to. And often they're shaking you down for money when you don't need to replace your phone anyway. So you can save money by doing that. Um, Look at refurbished models. Look at secondhand phones instead of buying new. Um, When you're done with yours, see if there's people in your community or sphere that might need a phone. Um, And there's, yeah, there's, there's just, there's no need for this endless cycle that we're in at the moment of how phones are going the unfortunate thing is we are a little bit at the behest of these companies because they can lock us down when they do the upgrade cycles that basically brick your phone after a certain amount of time and i have to say apple is worse than any other company for that um so we need to support these other companies that are trying to make that better like like fair phone and hopefully more people do that so there's not like great panacea silver bullet solutions it's a bit of a primer i reckon it's it's like get ready for this when you see it yeah when you see it exactly whether it's in a year or two or three yeah um that that sort of understanding of of why this stuff is really important yeah but it's you just don't need to be replacing your phone every two years you really don't. And I think it was similar with clothing or, or I guess everything. If you've got someone who you can give your phone to, 
just because you want to upgrade it after 18 months. That is not sustainability. Yeah. It's like that phone still exists and you're buying a new one that didn't need to be bought. Yeah. Just, so just because you can palm it off to your younger brother or whatever yeah. doesn't mean that you're you're saving the planet. Yeah. So I don't know. There's not real like huge solutions for this one way. Just slow it down, eh? Slow it slow down. Slow it down. Yeah. But I do think it's important that this info kind of gets out there because especially the the mining, the extraction process to get these finite elements that we're just hooning through at the moment, which have quite serious applications. There's a thing with um, helium. There's a little bit sidetracked, but we're running out of helium at the moment, which we what? really need for scientific applications, but it's because we keep putting it in <laughs> balloons. <laughs> <laughs> There's all these scientists crying out for more helium because it's so expensive now, but we've <laughs> wasted so much by putting it in party balloons. Gosh, it's But funny. they use them in like MRI that, machines. That and could be like the one fact that comes out of the 21st century and that would just sum everything up. Yeah. It's a good metaphor, isn't it? We had this incredible element that we could have used to build this next generation of technology, but we were too busy putting it in party bonds. (laughs) (laughs) So slow it down with the phones. Um, Look after your batteries if you can. Um, And just like, yeah, try and keep the phones for longer. Get them repaired instead of looking for an excuse to replace them. You Mm. know, you can just replace the screen in so many cases. And when you can't, give it to Remobile mm. and at least um, some money will be going to sustainable coastlines. And when the time is right, support Fairphone or a company like Yeah, them when the time's right. That Thanks, Tim. Modular it's, designs yeah. to New Zealand. It's really cool. It, 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 after years and years of having my head in that sustainability space, I'm amazed at how I still have that element of kind of things appearing by magic. And I yeah. don't, I don't, I don't think. Like I always go on about, there is no way when you chuck something, it, it lasts forever, and it's it's just because it's out of sight doesn't mean it's um, disappearing. Um, yeah, and it amazes me that I can. I'm like, yeah, I hadn't really thought too much about. Um, oh, it's just such a mystery to me what's inside a phone, why it does the things. Like even when you're talking about all those seventeen different elements and mm. things, it's like, well, I just thought, thought it was just a circuit board. That did all those things. Well, they're pretty and, amazing. And there's a physicality of that stuff. It comes from at least 17 different places, probably yeah. hundreds of different places by the time it's all stitched together. I mean, there's a specific element that they have to use to make the vibration module that small. There's a specific element that goes into making the flash as efficient as it is. And, and I just, and I just, I just treat are, it as like uh, instead of the thousands of components and processes and people yeah, yeah like one phone if you could see all those people lined up that had been involved in making it Man, it'd be, it, would make crowd, it would crowd your room wouldn't it it would crowd your school assembly hall absolutely probably. that would be an incredible project yeah and you just pick it up like it's one thing yeah like just an apple it that's just fallen appeared. off the tree or exactly. something an apple <laughs> <laughs> well that is where mobile phones come from folks so um now you know and now you know what to do with them which is keep them and then give them to Remobile. And I will see you in the future where we've all got modular design phones that last us years and years and years and years. And are based on ethical processes. (laughs) And the happy, green, wonderful future that we're all heading towards. We will catch you in the next episode of How to Save the World. If you have any feedback about this episode, if you have any questions, you can get in touch with us at facebook.com slash howtosavetheworld. Uh, And otherwise, we'll see you in the next step. See ya.